Welcome to The Spin Cycle. I'm Maggie Sarachek. And I'm Abby Greenberg. And together we are the Anxiety Sisters. Hi, Anxiety Sisters, and welcome to our show. We get so many questions concerning all things perimenopause and menopause, because we all know that issues come along with times of big hormonal shifts in life and big life transitions. Today, we have just the women to help us understand and make the most out of this time of midlife. Our friends, Colleen and Bridget from the popular podcast, Hot Flashes and Cool Topics. In case you don't know it, Hot Flashes and Cool Topics is a weekly podcast focused on women in midlife and beyond. From health and wellness, relationships and career, they cover it all. They even have some celebrity guests, which is really fun. We were celebrity guests on their show, Max. Yes. Yes, you were. (laughs) I didn't mean mean our level of celebrity. Um, (laughs) A little about the duo behind it all. Colleen Rosenblum is a former attorney or a recovering attorney, do you call it? Uh, yeah, um, recovering. I like that. Yeah. Um, who took time off to raise her daughters. She's now a podcaster. She's married to her high school sweetheart and is loving this time in her life. Bridget Garrett is a former elementary school teacher, actress, and now a podcaster. She raised a son and a daughter, and she's married to her college sweetheart, and she's also loving midlife. So welcome to the Spin Cycle. Colleen and Bridget, we're so excited that you're here. Well, thank you so much. We love the Anxiety Sisters, and we love Aww. the Spin Cycle. Yes. And really, like you are two of our favorite people, so thank you so much for having Aww. us on the show. No, we feel the same exact way. We, we, just, we knew right away after we met you guys that this was going to be a lifelong connection. Yes. So we'll just get right into it. And we always start our podcast by asking our guests to think about what their experience with anxiety has been. When they noticed anxiety for the first time in their life, that's always something interesting. And, uh, and if they identify as an anxiety sister. So why don't we start with Colleen? Well, yes, I'm definitely an anxiety sister and I definitely have generalized anxiety disorder. I think you know, back in our days, woohoo, going back to the old time, it was, you were considered, you know, type A, or you were just very focused all the time. And I remember being a very young child, anxious about everything. Was I going to fail this test? Was the school bus going to leave me at school by myself forever? Um, You know, I had three older siblings who absolutely took my anxiety and played you know, games with it and tortured me with it. But, you know, they just said, oh, she's a, you know, an overachiever. She's a perfectionist. And, you know, oh, so she get, makes herself throw up before a test. It's just normal. She's just worried about it, you know? And I think we excused it through law school. It was constant. Um, I would start getting migraines. That's when the migraine started in, in law school. But I have to say that it seemed just kind of like, you know, my sidekick for a long time until I hit my forties. I was not aware that when perimenopause started, if you have anxiety to begin with, it can be exacerbated by 
the hormone shifts. And at the time mine really reached its peak, I was about 45. My father was in hospice. My daughter was suffering from an eating disorder, a very severe one. So I attributed all of my anxiety to life circumstances, not realizing that even if those circumstances hadn't been there, I think the anxiety would have been exacerbated nonetheless. And so I had to go, I started on medication because I just, I was, I was one of those ones who would drive down the street to go to dinner with my husband and be like, nope, got to go back. Got to go back. Hit the red light. Mm, not today. Not happening. anxiety U-turn. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. There's a title for that. <laughs> we are that's a title. Yeah. We are so, very familiar with the anxiety U-turn. <laughs> yeah. and, and I have to say my husband has been wonderful. He's very understanding about it. I have found that since my kids have left the nest, or I like to say revolving door, they leave, they come back, they mm-hmm. come back, that peace bring is the best thing for me with anxiety. I need to know, have a schedule. I am a homebody, but just being peaceful is a gift in our 50s that mm-hmm. really does help with the anxiety. And that's my story. What about you, Bridget? Boy. Well, I, I don't think I was, I might be a cousin. I might be an anxiety cousin. <laughs> there. That's all right. I like to say low key anxious because I do get very anxious about things, but I don't, I think I'm kind of a people pleaser. I definitely was. Don't know if I'm as much of one now as I was when I was younger. I'm from a really large family. So I'm the 11th of 12 kids. You know, I think that I didn't even know what to do with everything that was around me. There was so much going on, but I do remember wanting, when especially elementary school, wanting to be the top, wanting to be the best at everything. And then by the time I got in middle school, I was like, oh, this isn't going to happen. <laughs> so I just kind of <laughs> let that go. Yeah. But, but, you know, I, it's funny. I didn't really realize what it was. And I have, I think it's funny. My mother later in life, was diagnosed as anxious and things started to change for her probably after menopause where she didn't like to drive anymore. And Mm -hmm. she was very nervous about situations. She would go to the point of just, okay, we're just going to do this or we're just not going to do that because she didn't want to deal with changing something. And Mm -hmm. I'm not real good with change of plans. If I have something in my head and I know this is how it's going to be, and somebody throws a wrench in there, I, I, I have to think about it, I have to get myself centered again. So that, um, that was something that I've noticed is difficult. I've had one panic attack that I did have to go to the hospital for. I really and truly thought that I was having a heart attack. I was probably in my 30s. And I really thought that that's what was happening. I think I, think I got worse as I was going through perimenopause as well. I was teaching at the time. I was, I had two children in school. I have one child that is ADHD, also has anxiety and trying to deal with the issues with that child just was overwhelming. So I I think I get to a point where I'm overwhelmed and then I will probably just blow up, which Colleen, Mm -hmm. I don't think you've seen that. I haven't seen the the volcano eruption. No, No, you asked my sister, Jennifer, that lives in our neighborhood bless her heart. She's like the the most even keel person. All of the non-anxiety stuff just went to her and it just kind of passed out to me. So I do have it, but I think I'm low key. I'm not on medication 
uh, for it at this moment. <laughs> that doesn't mean I won't be. But I have family members that have had, you know, really bad panic attacks and just hope things can help them. We and were so we were going to let you get away with saying you're an anxiety cousin, but then you said you had a full-fledged panic attack. I did have you. one. So you're a sister, honey. I'm a sister. <laughs> I'm, I'm, and you know, I told, I had told one of my sisters about your podcast and about your book because she is going, she has a heart condition and things have really been going wrong with her heart condition lately. And She's had two really big panic attacks where she really thinks something bad is going to happen. Oh, you guys have been a good sister to, to my sister. So Aww. thank you. Thank you. Um, just just tell all your siblings and we'll pretty much have like a best-selling book. Oh, just yeah, your siblings. Family, I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that's all we kind of need. Is, yeah, that's right. I will um, definitely. We'll talk a little bit more about anxiety because I'd like to. I just wanted to switch gears a tiny bit for a minute. We we were, Abs and I were wondering sort of what made you guys start your podcast? Like, how'd you guys come up with it? And sort of all, all that, the history of your podcasts of hot flashes and cool topics. Well, Bridget and I moved into the same neighborhood around the same time, about six years ago. It was right when our kids were leaving the nest and our, we kind of had the same idea of, oh, let's go somewhere where there's more of a social scene, but right there where you don't have to go very far. And we met and we became friends. We had some other friends and literally we were sitting at lunch one day and one of our friends has a podcast that's completely separate and distinct from ours. And we were saying, you know, this blank chapter, everyone was starting, Bridget was kind of ending her acting. I was no longer teaching Pilates and, and the other two women were changing careers. We were like, why isn't there a podcast that talks about all the things for midlife, like an umbrella podcast, not just menopause, not just careers, not just relationships. So we did some research and we couldn't find one that really met what we were talking about. So, you know, in, in our complete craziness, we were like, oh, we'll do one ourselves, you know, between Bridget's 12 siblings and my three, we figured, okay, that there you go. There's the numbers <laughs> right there. How bad could it be? Oh gosh. Thank you, YouTube, because we had no idea how much work was involved. But it also made us realize that we truly can do anything. It's not age related. You can do whatever you want to do if you're willing to put the work in. So um, Bridget and I come from very different backgrounds, as you've heard, but we really have similar experiences and, and similar ideas. And people tend to, the chemistry people like. They like when we banter. They like when we have our guests on. And and so in the last two years, a little over two years, we have learned so much about the media world, more than we probably wanted to or, or needed to. But <laughs> it's, it's resonated. Like we didn't know what kind of response we were going to get. We had no clue that there are so many women out there. And, and Bridget says this often, that wanted a community, that wanted to feel less alone. And wanted their questions answered. Because we always say we are not the experts in anything but our own midlives. But we will find the answers. If you email us with a question, we'll find the expert and bring them on. So did I miss anything, Bridget? I think you're, that that was pretty good. And it is amazing. I think, like you said, what these older brains can learn. I didn't know that I could learn this much, not only about the technical stuff involved, which you we were talking beforehand that 
They are the, their own producers, just like you oh, and Abby's I are. Our own. Oh, you're our producer. Abby's, Abby's a producer. I, okay. I actually can't learn the tech stuff, and I can't <laughs> even figure out how to turn the notifications well, off. Well, on that my one's that's a puzzle to <laughs> yeah. me too. The notifications, but just learning, just how editing and just all of the things like that, how to get it up, you know, on the places to go out into the world. It's amazing. And then what we've learned just from our guest has been amazing. I never thought that I would learn this much about females, really about anybody, just how you all taught us about the brain, your gut brain. I mean, that was so amazing. And just everything that we've learned has been incredible. The experts We learned something every episode. And I always think I can't, oh, I know everything. Well, no, I don't because I always learn more from everybody and every guest. So I am not exaggerating when I say that when I turned 50, it was the beginning of the best decade of my life. I mean, I definitely have the creakiness, you know, the body definitely has parts that need some replacement, but, (laughs) um, but in terms of feeling satisfied with choices that I've made and in terms of, of feeling comfortable in my own skin for probably the first time in my life. It's really, it's not a coincidence that it started after menopause when I turned 50. And I've talked to so many other women who've said the same thing. And I was just wondering if you guys have experienced that too. I definitely have. Yes. Oh yeah. I I really cannot think of a time I've been happier. I really can't in my life. And I feel like, you know, my kids are in a good space. There probably could be things for them that could be better, but I feel good about how they are. And as mothers, it always seems like you're as happy as your saddest kid, you know, is. So, that's true. <laughs> yeah. So that's a good thing. I'm definitely, you know, we're more comfortable. My husband and I are comfortable, uh, just comfortable with where we are in our lives. And I don't know. I just, I've got a great friend like Colleen. I've got, I've got my little core group. We have, there's four of us that are very close and, and you're running this fabulous community and podcast that probably gives you a lot of fulfillment as as, it it is. Yeah. It's amazing who we've met. It's it's incredible. The response that we've gotten. And, And like Bridget said, just getting emails from people saying, wow, you know, it's just nice. We got one the other day from a woman saying, I didn't have any, I have younger friends and none of them had been through any of this before. And I really, when I discovered your podcast, I was like, I'm not alone. I'm not alone, you know, and that's probably one of the biggest things that we hear about in midlife that women feel invisible or that they feel alone. And that alone, I'm sure with anxiety just plays on your head too much alone time, but having the purpose with this podcast, because we see the change, we feel it. If someone had told us we'd be interviewing women like Fran Drescher and Carla Hall and all these crazy, like I, I watched Laura Geller on QVC for years. The thought of actually sitting there and she knows who I am. Seriously. Like it, it, it's not age related. You can do this at any time that you want. But I do think that there is a freedom that comes with our age where we are willing to take a few more risks because we don't really care if they work or not. That fear of failure just doesn't seem to be as strong in your 50s. I was sort of an old soul to begin with, I think. Um, but I also have still have children at home, even though I am 54. My children are still, you know, I, I was a mother, became a mother later, you know, so I had a lot of time before I had children. 
to develop in a lot of ways. But what's weird for me is like, I don't see that much difference between my 30s, 40s, 50s. Like it all feels you know, though, when you're when your boys go to college, you will definitely feel the difference. Maybe. I mean, I'm, I'm dreading that because, you know, you have, I was with my husband for many, many years before we had kids, you know, so it's just interesting that different people, you know, have different experiences. Like there's, you know, I know people who have babies at our age. And so it's all very different. Like there's no right way to do the life. Right. I could could not do the baby thing now. I just couldn't. I mean, I always, yeah, I'm I'm ready for the grandbaby stage. I have have grandbabies and I have to tell you, they are the most precious one. Yes. I have three grandchildren and they are amazing and they're, they're all babies and I, and I love them, but I have to tell you after two hours with them, I need a nap. You know, and I, and I always say to my daughters who are in their thirties, you have so much energy. And I said, well, you did too, when you were our age, but I have energy for other things I didn't used to have. So you do, you do. I mean, I, and I have friends who had kids in their fifties or adopted, you know, in their fifties and they're, you know, they're doing it as well as anyone else. Like, I just think the thing is, there's a lot of different ways to do life. There's not one, right? you know, there's not one timeline that's supposed to be. I think, which, you know, I find encouraging. Mags, you don't feel more comfortable in your own skin now than you used to? No. For a very long time, I've had a certain level of self-confidence, I think. I think that was just something I got from my my childhood. <laughs> my parents made many mistakes, but they did give me a sense of like self that was very, very strong. I think that's great that you had that early on because I I didn't. My own personal experience, yeah, you, I was much more self-conscious. I was not comfortable in my own skin. I needed people's approval so much more than I need it now. I still, you know, I still need approval, um, if that's okay with you guys. But um, <laughs> but don't you find that it's approval of people that matter more yes. now? Like you yes. don't, yes. like, yeah. I don't care what other people, like before when you would take the kids to school and who would you run into? And now if it, the only people that matter are my close circle. Yeah. And other than that, your opinion is none of my business. I don't. I I definitely feel that at this age, Colleen. And I would say, I always think about like, when, when did I start to really get self-conscious and it was probably right around puberty. And I think if I could get myself back to the confidence of eight year old Bridget, eight year old Bridget was the most confident person in the world. I don't remember my thirties. They seem like they went in a blur that I I barely remember my thirties. I don't, it's like I was asleep the whole time or just trying to get through the next day. It's that you don't have the luxury of your sense of self because there's small people that, you know, don't even speak the language very well and they can't tell time and they're always following you. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And the guilt that you feel when you do something for yourself, which now Colleen and I both say self-care is not selfish. Boy, when I was in my 30s and I wanted to do anything for myself, I felt selfish that I was not with my children. We get asked this all the time. How do you define perimenopause? How do you define menopause? I think a lot of people don't, don't know. There really are know the so difference. many people oh, yeah. Yeah. that don't know. It's it's yeah. We've learned through this podcast just how yeah. little information is given to women. Yeah, no information by their gynecologist. Pre-menopause is those times where your cycles are normal, you're still in the fertile stages, and everything's just chugging along. Perimenopause can last anywhere between four to 10 years, 
or in some cases like mine, 110 years, it just keeps going. <laughs> um, but between four and 10 years where your symptoms are really bother, you know, could really be aware of them because your hormones are like a roller coaster. Your estrogen's up, your progesterone's down, your testosterone's hiding somewhere, and every day is a new experience. Menopause is the actual one day anniversary of 12 months of no period. So when people mm -hmm. say I'm going through menopause, they're actually going through perimenopause. Mm -hmm. And once they reach that one day, all time after that is post-menopause. How does someone know if they're in perimenopause? Oh, oh that's know. interesting. I didn't know what perimenopause was when I was going through it. And it started mm -hmm. for me, everybody's different. Some people have no problem. They breeze right through that. I think it's like and, 10%, right, Bridget? Yeah, the, and we yeah. hate that 10%. <laughs> they obviously are an anxiety <laughs> Devils that, yeah. <laughs> but for me personally, it was night sweats. I remember the brain fog that I could not remember things. I was trying to remember lines. I was trying to remember just different things for different like commercials and things. And I could not remember my lines. That average age is 51 to experience have your anniversary. Menopause. The actual, yeah. Right. To have your anniversary. Menopause is 51 around the average right. age. Right. That's the average age. Um, well, perimenopause, the average is like 44 43, 44. It, yes. Early yeah. can start in your late, if you go through early menopause, you can start in your late thirties. But you can get pregnant during perimenopause, but you once can. you hit menopause, you can't get pregnant. Is that correct? You shouldn't be able to, you know, unless one egg's just hanging on up there for dear life and drop. I could, you and can. that egg, you don't want to reproduce with that egg because that yeah, egg has like she'll get me. cobwebs. <laughs> and, <laughs> but, but you can, because your, yeah. your hormone levels, like Colleen was saying earlier, are, and we've heard this, this is from doctors. This isn't just like Colleen and I'm making this yeah, up. Yeah, no, we've I talked to either. doctors, but they are up and down the levels. Your estrogen can be very high and then it could be super low. And when that egg that's during comes peri. down, that's, that's during peri. Okay. And then you might, you might go four months without a period. You might go six months without a period. And then you might have a very heavy period. And, mm -hmm. and it's so can, different for every woman. One of the things I think that we have discussed, there's like 34 different symptoms that they have counted. There's a lot more that they, they don't put on the lists. But one of the things that is really not focused on for women is their mental health. Anxiety, depression, rage, mood swings, they are so apparent during perimenopause. And number one, women don't know what's going on because they think it's the life factors. They have teenagers. Maybe they're not getting along with their spouse. Work is stressful. Yes, all those things are true. But you inside your, your brain right now, all your hormones are like causing a fight. And, you know, uh, I think Dr. Brizadine actually described it as waves and waves are one of the most powerful things on earth. Think of that in your head. You just have waves crashing all the time. So women... Number one, don't even realize that it could be exacerbated by perimenopausal symptoms. And two, their husbands are like, where did my wife go? And how do I get her back? So we need to be educating the men as well that this is a time of a stage of life that maybe, you know, it's, it's you got to give her a little grace because she's going through a lot in her body. It's, you know, puberty in reverse. And it's, you know, it wasn't fun when your teenager was going through puberty, so... <laughs> And we do yeah. know that estrogen has a huge impact on serotonin, 
which is one of our feel-good neurotransmitters that we need. We need to have it available in our brain synapses in order to, it has to be available for use, for uptake uh, between our synapses and our brain. So at times when estrogen is fluctuating, that would make sense that our serotonin availability would also fluctuate and that could cause the rages, that can cause the irritability, that could cause the crying, it could cause the anxiety. It's well-documented. I think also what you were saying before, which is like women aren't getting the information from their doctors because perimenopause and menopause are invisible (laughs) to doctors. Like we become, you know, we become invisible to doctors. It's often OBGYNs and they're very focused on, on making babies, you know, on how, you know, on the babies and then, you know, not as focused as we move along. They're not educated. Yeah. The area of menopause, because so many doctors we've talked to say there's like there's one day they might spend on menopause in med school. And it is amazing. Luckily, there are more doctors out there talking about it. But the number of women that we hear from on our Facebook group that say my doctor won't listen to me, my doctor absolutely will not even consider if a hormone replacement is something you want to even try they won't consider it. And Hmm. it's really awful. The best thing I would say for any woman is go to NAMS, the the North North American American, Menopause Society. Just Google NAMS, N-A-M-S, and you can get to the website. They will, on that website is a link to find doctors in areas that have that NAMS certification. So Hmm. if you're going to find a doctor that has NAMS certification, you're going to find a doctor that is educated in the area of menopause and perimenopause and is going to be willing to listen to you. And I believe, can you even do virtual? I don't know about NAMS per se, but I know there are companies like Genev, G-E-N-N-E-V and Electra Health that do provide telehealth for women who are going through perimenopause and menopause. So, you know, there are resources out there. Unfortunately, the doctors simply are behind the times mm-hmm. in knowing about it. And I absolutely agree with Bridget. NAMS is the best place to start, but you're going to be discouraged because there aren't enough certified. What I want to say is I don't want to go to an OBGYN. I want to go to a gynecologist. I don't right. need the OB my life changed When I left my OBGYN, whom I loved, and I left him after, you know, many, many years and went to a gynecologist who only deals with perimenopause and, and forward. In other words, she's not focused on babies at all because she doesn't deliver any, you know, that's not part of her practice. And she changed my life. I am on hormone replacement therapy. I actually went through menopause at 36. Wow. And that doctor that I loved, my OBGYN, he, he missed it. He, he, which in all fairness, it's easy to miss from what I've heard because when you go, when you go through menopause at, at 36, it's really, it's a disease condition. That's, that's, it's an autoimmune situation. So I had failed ovarian syndrome when my ovaries attacked themselves and shut down. So, you know, a lot of people miss that. Finally, when I went to this other, this gynecologist, this woman, she had me in a bone scan because if you're yeah. in perimenopause, you got to start paying attention to that kind of stuff. When you when your estrogen supply is depleted, then that is not good news for your bones. Right. So you want to, you know, just know where you stand with that. And she, you know, when I started telling her all my symptoms, I had the most awful muscle aches. 
crippling mm-hmm. to the point where I used to tell Maggie that I was going to be in a wheelchair by the time I was 50 because I was in so much pain. Well, it turns out that estrogen is what lubricates your muscles and your joints. If you don't have any estrogen, yeah, you're going to have a lot of soreness that's going to feel like arthritis, really severe arthritis. And so I went through years of suffering because no one told me you're in menopause. (laughs) You're done. (laughs) Because I was so young, 36, who, who thinks of that? So, you know, it really having, you know, a woman gynecologist, and and I'm sure there are male gynecologists who are also wonderful, but just having this perspective from this woman who was middle-aged and who had been there herself and really um, Mm. uh, had taken the time to learn all the nuances of hormone change. I live almost pain-free. You actually, you walk five miles a day now, fast. I couldn't, yeah, there was a time where I couldn't walk. I mean, it was like hard for me to walk up a flight of stairs. I just, it was so hard. Some women can't take hormones. They can't, if they have a history that if they've had breast cancer or if they've had blood clots, they do want to look at other things that might be available. But, but that being said, the doctors that we've spoken to, I know one doctor in particular with the Mayo Clinic said that is the best right now that we know hormone replacement is the best way to treat these menopausal symptoms. You're going to have to pry that patch off my (laughs) cold, dead butt. I know. And, and, you know, I'm on it as well, but they also say the patches, the transdermal are the best to do because it doesn't pass through your liver. Some women are afraid to ask their gynecologist about painful sex. I think 80% of women postmenopausal have problems with sex. It's painful. You should not suffer. Men would not suffer. Okay. They take the little (laughs) blue pill and they'd be happy, but we're supposed to just grin and bear it. And that's mm-hmm. not okay. And the and the doctors are very forthcoming. This is what you can do. This is the estrogen cream you can use. They want women to have options, but women are afraid to ask for them. Yeah. A- another thing I'd never heard of was vaginal atrophy. I'd never huh? heard of that. I didn't know what that was. I didn't know it was a thing until we started talking to the different doctors that we've spoken to and that this this cream and it's it's great for UTIs if you're having um, urinary tract infections the tissue can get very brittle in the vaginal area. There are pelvic therapists that go out. You know, everyone's oh Kegel. Well, do you even know how to Kegel? Just because you're sitting here and you squeeze doesn't mean you're Kegeling. And there are ways to help with pelvic pain. With you know, a lot of women are incontinent or bladder leakage. Every time we find a topic, we find three topics to talk about from the topic that we found, because there are so many different things that women of midlife and beyond struggle with, don't talk about. I have a question. What is, what do you think from your community and your listeners, what is the greatest misconception about midlife for women? That life is over. I think that somehow your best years are behind you because you either had the children, had the family, or you had the career and you were, you know, reached the pinnacle and it couldn't be further from the truth. I often say it's a mindset. It's how you look at it. And if you are so focused on the past, you can't see that present that's right in front of you and the future that's ahead of you. So if society is not used to seeing women living longer and living better, I mean, come on, women in their fifties, are not our grandmother's 50s, that's mm-hmm. just not the same, that it's okay 
to feel sad and to feel melancholy at times about you. Yeah, there were great times, but that it's not isolated. You can also feel excited and peaceful and there are freedoms and privileges that we have earned at this age. You could feel more than one feeling at the same time, but there are a lot of our listeners that either just feel invisible or feel like the best times of my life are over. So many of our listeners in this time of life they they may have gone through a really big life change themselves. They may no longer be married. Their partner may have either died or they've gotten divorced or something. They may be alone, but there is so much more to do. And a lot of them don't know that they're kind of in a despair. And plus with the pandemic, that was just further isolation. And there are times I know that I went through a phase where, oh my gosh, I missed my children so badly. I missed them so much. Then the pandemic came and they came home and I got over that. (laughs) (laughs) I I was like, that cured me. So yeah, it is a big mindset and it's okay to feel sad, but really you've got to give some things a chance. You got to give them a chance. I've always heard, I don't even know if this is true, but I've always heard that Eastern cultures have a different experience of menopause than Western cultures. Do you know anything about that? that in other words, that, that uh, they don't have the symptoms that we have. And uh, maybe that's because of the s- standard American diet. I don't know. Or I just was wondering if you guys had heard anything about that. I had heard about that. We actually interviewed um, Dan Butner, who is, uh, he wrote the Blue Zone books. Mm-hmm, yes. And he studied longevity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of the blue zone areas, the menopausal symptoms are lower or almost non-existent. And it is heavily related to your diet. Your stress levels, huge. It's their environment as well and their closeness of their family. But the huge ones were the diet and the type of work that they're doing. They're moving around a lot. There's also that level of respect in cultures that we simply don't have here in the States. Right. There's a value to experiences and, and if, aging is valued in other and cultures. aging. Is, it hasn't made sense in the last 10 years because we are, there are a lot of reports out that show we are powerful consumers. We are the ones with are willing to spend money on the products that work. And I've said before, we're usually ones paying still for the you know millennials to buy the purchases that they're seeing online. <laughs> Why are there not commercials for us? All You're either in diapers or depends There's nothing in between. I mean, I think there's also this cultural aspect. It's not just, you know, quote unquote family that is really connected, but the community is really connected. And so, you know, I think there's a lot of pressure here often on the nuclear family, whereas in a lot of those communities, the community is bigger. Yeah, because we are, we're animals that want interaction, like a tribe. We need it. Yeah, yeah, we need that. We need our tribe. Back to your your question about why we might experience menopause symptoms. As the Western world starts to creep into these areas with fast food chains, you are starting to see a little bit of a shift that some of these areas aren't as blue as they used to be, I suppose. There are McDonald's located in some of the areas that are considered blue zones, yeah. and it's definitely not helping with the longevity. What are you seeing in terms of mental health for women at this point in life? The rise of suicide in women, I believe 45 to, I'm not sure, 59 or something is one of the highest. And I think that has to do a lot with the fact that they don't connect mental health with your hormones changes, your brain changes. And as you get older, you simply can't multitask the way you used to. So 
women are, I think, frustrated with themselves, but also are embarrassed to talk about it. My hope is that, you know, with my daughter's generation, they're in their 20s. Mental health is a discussion for everyone. There is no stigma attached to, you know, if I had asked my bosses in my 20s for a mental health day, they would have been like, take 365 because you're not coming back again. Okay. There was was no consideration for that. Nowadays, there's much less of a stigma to mental health struggles. And I hope that carries through to women who are now, I think, is it millennials are now hitting their 40s? Probably the oldest yeah. ones probably the are. oldest yeah. ones are hitting their forties. Yeah. So they're getting near perimenopause. And it is my hope and our wish that this carries through so that they're more open to mm-hmm. talking about their mental health struggles. Because certainly when we were younger, you guys know it wasn't something you discussed. No, you didn't say you didn't tell anyone if you were going to a therapist. And that shouldn't be stigmatized. That shouldn't be held against you. That could save your life if you do that. And taking the steps to saving your life shouldn't be looked at it as a, as a bad thing. As a weakness. As a weakness. Somehow yes. you're you're less of a person because you sought help, which is so ridiculous. That's yeah. also part of that uh, Western ethos of, you know, do things by yourself. Pull yourself yeah. up by your bootstraps, right? Yeah, yeah. Kind of yeah. Versus the more communal, you know, lean on someone and they'll help you pull up, pull you up right. by your bootstraps if you can't do it yourself. So the four of us with our communities, what we're doing is trying to make lifting each other up the way mm-hmm. of life. Tell our <laughs> listeners where they can find you guys. Oh, um, just everywhere. You can go to our website at hotflasheskooltopics.com. And we have all the episodes up there. We have lots of information. We have our YouTube channel. And we have a great Facebook group too. It's a private Facebook group for women. We have about 4,200 women in it. And they just share, you know, anything from a hot flash to they want to like, you know, throw their husband out the window. It just depends on the day. And what can we do? I have never once talked to each other about throwing our husbands out the window. That's never been a discussion between Do you live on the first floor? Is that I was why? Say, are you on the first floor? Mags and I absolutely love these women, and the work Thank they are you. doing is so important. The conversation that they are making deeper and and more profound every single week with their show—it's it's really saving women. You all absolutely. have been very helpful to our listeners as well. Thank oh. you for having us on. Oh, Thank you. Loved it. We'll be we'll be doing more things together. I think this is a, a lifetime partnership here. Oh, 100%. Yes, yes, absolutely. We want to remind you that our book, yes. Anxiety Sisters Survival Guide, is available everywhere you buy books. And if you like it, wouldn't you mind leaving us a review wherever you bought it? It's so, so helpful to us. It's just, it, it's, you're, you're doing really such a nice favor for us if you, if you would be willing to, to leave a review. Yes, absolutely. And some of you may know about our small private support group called The Coping Crew, which is a six-week group where we meet once a week online on Zoom. And we also have a private Facebook page to stay connected throughout the week. And it's $99 for six weeks. So if you're interested, just shoot us an email or you can even PM us on Facebook. And then you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, on our website, which is www.anxietysisters.com. And as always, if you have feedback, especially compliments or questions or an idea for a podcast, please email us or, you know, get in touch with us somehow or other. 
And we want to thank you so much for joining us. And remember, ready? Ready? Three, two, one. Anxiety sisters don't go it alone. That was pretty good. It really wasn't good. It wasn't? You've been listening to The Spin Cycle, an Anxiety Sisters production. Copyright 2022. All rights reserved.